Well, it's Valentine's today in case someone forgot. It's still not too late. It's Valentine's today. And I thought it would be a, just a good idea to do a Valentine's marriage tune up today with COVID. We've not been able to have the uh, marriage retreat. So I thought maybe we would do something like that today. These are crazy days that the world finds itself in. I think you will agree. And there's a lot of strain on marriages, even Christian marriages. But you would think that Christian leaders or church leaders would not be giving up on their marriages, but such is not the case because there's yet another high profile church pastor and wife that are calling it quits. Pastor Guillermo Maldonado and his prophetess wife, Anna. And we have a picture of them here. Put that up. Would you please? They're founders of the charismatic Pentecostal megachurch called King Jesus international ministry. And it's a very fast growing Hispanic church in Miami, Florida. And they have attendances of over 20,000 every week. Well, Anna has recently filed for divorce from her husband after 30 years of marriage, and they are right now in the middle of a messy divorce. They are fighting over $120 million. Now, where do you think all that money came from? Hmm? Well, Anna alleges she suffered verbal and emotional abuse at the hands of her husband, but not cheating and adultery. I guess at least that. And she suggested also that her husband stole from the ministry and illegally profited off the ministry empire. Like maybe $120 million worth my thought only. Well, anyhow, her husband vehemently denies all of these charges. In the meantime, prophetess Anna has gone and split the church gone and started her own church and took a big portion of the congregation with her. You know, I uh, folks, it's my opinion only, but it's highly doubtful if these two people are even born again, if they're even saved because the typical charismatic slash Pentecostal is not teaching the whole counsel of God is not teaching people about sin and damnation and about the true deity of Jesus Christ and repentance and faith in Christ, making him King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So listen, it's not for us to judge, but it just seems doubtful. But today is Valentine's day. And I believe that not just today, but probably for every day, Satan is trying to hurt marriages, particularly good marriages. If there's a real horrible, lousy, rotten marriage, Satan doesn't have to hurt that one. It's already shot. It's already on the rocks. Just give it a little more time and it'll split apart. But Satan goes after the good marriages. And so I thought it wise to have a little bit of a St. Valentine's Day marriage tune-up. And so let's bow our heads and close our eyes and husbands and wives. Would you please join hands and we'll pray together. Heavenly father, help us now to look into the scriptures and to see what you have to say 
about marriage. I pray, Father, for every husband and wife that you would please encourage them and strengthen them in their faith for you, in their love for each other. Father, I also pray for others who may not yet be married, but may be married one day, one day soon, perhaps, and that you would encourage them also with the scriptures and help prepare them for marriage. And dear Lord, I pray if possible, if there's any marriages that have split apart, that you might bring them back together. Lord, if that's even possible, I pray you do that for your glory. And now, Father, lead us on in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, folks. Number one, point number one. Let's start our little tune-up today, our tune-up of marriages, by looking at the original purpose of marriage. It's important that we go back to the drawing board, we go back to the planning stages, and we look at the, the foundation laid that we look at God's plans laid down for marriage. Now we're going to look at a few verses here, um, old Testament and new Testament. And I want you to follow along with me, please. Now, husbands and wives, if you're still holding hands, you may have to, you may have to release your grip in order to find the Bible passages, but then go back to holding hands. Genesis chapter one. We'll begin there. Shall we Genesis and chapter one. That's an easy one to find. And verse number 27. Now remember what we're looking for here is God's design, his, his purpose. We'll be looking at some scriptures to give us this overall idea of his design. So verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him male and female created he them. Oh, there's a whole lot we could preach about just off that one verse. Marriage today is in a a state of uproar and we just live in the craziest world I've ever seen. So folks, God's design on marriage. There was Adam and there was Eve, male and female. And of course he brought them together, but I'd like you now to go to the new Testament And go to the book of Ephesians. We'll be going back to Genesis. We will. But go to Ephesians and chapter 2. Now, some of you don't know where Ephesians is. Well, it's in the New Testament. uh, After um, Acts, Romans, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians. And Ephesians chapter 2. And I'd like you to look, please, at verse 10. And read this out loud. Would you please do that with me? Read out verse 10, chapter two, verse 10. Here we go. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And that definitely includes marriage. God's plan, his overall plan is for us to bring him honor and glory by serving him and doing good works. And one more verse found in the book of revelation, another easy book to find chapter four, revelation chapter four. And I'd like you please to look at verse 11. And this is another wonderful verse. I'd ask you to read it out loud with me. Revelation four eleven. read together with me now. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. 
for thou hast created all things and for thy pleasure, they are and were created. All right. God created Adam. He created Eve. He created them for his pleasure. God created marriage. Marriage is created for whose pleasure? Let's go back to Genesis chapter two, Genesis chapter two. And we'll look at verse number 18, chapter two and verse 18. And the Lord God said, all right, read out loud with me. Here we go. It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make and help meet for him. All right. Here we see that man was created by God for his honor, for his glory, to have fellowship with God. We can see that and to do good works. Uh, Because man was alone, God looked at him and God decided there was a problem. God decided that man needed help in order for man to bring pleasure and glory to God and to serve him and do good works. He needed help. God created the perfect help meet for Adam. And it was Eve. And you know, the story on how God created now the evolutionists are going to be pulling their hair out at this point, crying heresy, burn them at the stake. How dare that pastor say that we came as a direct creation from God, but I'm sorry. That's just what the Bible teaches. I didn't write the Bible. I'm just telling you what's in there. So the problem here is with God. Then you have a problem with God. I'm just telling you what God wrote. That's all I'm doing. And in the Bible, if you believe the Bible, we see that God created Adam and he created Eve to be partners with Adam, to be soulmates, if you will, to be a team, to work together in order to bring him pleasure and glory. Now, the humanist puts man above God. In fact, many humanists don't even put God in the picture. It's man and man only. Man is the supreme being. That's the idea behind humanism. And the humanist thinks that marriage is only meant for the two people involved. Of course, as I said earlier, they've redefined marriage and they keep redefining it. And now marriage can be a man and a woman, or it can be a man and a woman and another woman, or it can mean a woman and two men in parts of the world. I am not making this up folks in parts of the world. People have married inanimate objects. They've, they've married like a a briefcase. They've, they've married a mannequin. They've married a rug, a rug of all things in parts of the world. They've married animals. Man is redefining what God originally created. Hey, I'm not their judge. I'm not condemning them. That's not my job, but I'll tell you what, when you start deviating from God's design, you're going to find problems. 
you're going to, you're going to run into problems like you never knew. There's problems out there. I believe that um, these diseases like gonorrhea and syphilis, these are things that don't exist in a, a marriage between a husband and a wife where there's chastity and unity and holiness. These things only happen in fornication and adultery. Now, someone's probably going to challenge me on that. That's fine. You can email me. I won't read it, but you can email me if you like. The humanist thinks that marriage is only meant for the pleasure and purpose of the people involved in the marriage. That's humanism. But if you're a Bible believer, I'm a Bible believer. If you're a Bible believer, then we must go back to God's original design for marriage. And I suggest to you that the original purpose of marriage was not primarily for the pleasure of Adam and Eve. I suggest to you that marriage was primarily meant for Adam to help fulfill God's purpose and his pleasure. Someone might cry, well, what about Eve? Where does she fit in? She fits right in with Adam and she finds her, her, her joy and fulfillment in Adam. And of course, Adam finds his joy and fulfillment in Eve, but God's called Adam to do a work for him. Now there's a lot more we could say on that subject. Maybe I've raised a few questions. I'm not sure, but my purpose today is not to go off on tangents here. My purpose today is to do a little marriage tune-up and this first step going back to the design board and looking at marriage. I think that, uh, that this is the divine purpose of marriage. Now bear in mind, there's a lot of fun. Husbands and wives have along life's pathway and they have a lot of joy together. And in fact, in, in other parts of the Bible, God tells us live joyfully with the wife of thy youth. So there's a lot of joy there. There's intimacy. There's iron sharpening iron. But a lot of men, if they're honest, would tell you that if it wasn't for their wives, they'd be a mess. They wouldn't be the man they are today if it wasn't for that little lady in their lives. And so that's good news, isn't it? That's good to hear. But getting back to this point, number one, the original purpose of marriage. If this is true, and I believe it is then it's not so much my marriage as it is God's marriage. And he has allowed me to share in it. Remember in the first marriage, it was God who brought Eve to Adam. Adam didn't go out on a dating site looking. He didn't know what to do. He'd never seen another woman. God gave him the job of naming all the animals. And at the same time, he was sort of checking them out to see if there was anything there for him. And there was nothing, nothing. And that's when God put him to sleep, opened them up, took a rib. Some people say, I don't believe that my friend, you can believe anything you want. But I believe that God who created the world, the universe, he's smart enough and he's able enough to take a rib out of a man and build a woman. You see they're they're meant to be together. God brought Eve to Adam Someone said that God was, 
was the first one. He gave away the first bride, you know, in marriage ceremonies, who giveth this woman to be the wife of this man? I do, or her mother and I do. And she's kind of given in marriage. And that's an old, old custom. God brought Eve to Adam. There's a lot of truth to that, by the way. And so in order for me to be everything God wants me to be, I can't do it without my wife. It's like I'm broken. There's parts missing and she completes me. And this seems to be God's design. Now I believe that probably the biggest destroyer of good marriages is selfishness. Oh boy. Selfishness. You know something you check this out, but the psychiatrists and the marriage counselors, they all seem to agree. They tell us that when two people are living together in fornication, they're not married. They're living together for year after year. And then they decide they're going to get married. Many of those marriages end in divorce because one or the other becomes very possessive and selfish and selfishness is a killer of any relationship and particularly marriage here. And I think that it, a lot of it, not all of it, but a lot of it starts right there in selfishness where he is just so full of himself and he's selfish or she is thinks the world revolves around her and she is so selfish and she doesn't realize the damage and he doesn't realize the destruction and neither of them see until it's too late. Can you imagine two people standing together at a wedding altar and there's the preacher performing the wedding ceremony. And he says, do you take and do you take? And then they come to the vows, the vows. Usually with the vows, they each pledge their undying love for as long as they live. Now it's not always that way with some crazy marriages. He's standing there with his lawyer and she's standing there with her lawyer. And they're looking upon the marriage as some kind of legal contractual thing with clauses and substantive uh, agreements and so on and so forth. The party of the first part and so on. And that's what they've turned their marriage into. And so that's what they got to live with now. And unfortunately, so many of them are ending in divorce. Divorce is not God's plan. God's plan is one woman for one man for one life. That's God's plan. Say, where do you get that from? From studying the Bible goes back to the Bible. That's my defense. I stand upon the word of God, but I'm telling you, we could learn a lot just looking around at the carnage and the shipwreck and the destruction, the mass pile up on highway one of marriage. Wow. A lot of it goes right back to selfishness. So if you can imagine these two people standing there, And if you could look past their words and really see what's in their hearts, he might stand there and say to her, sweetie pie, I thought that I was a goof and that no girl would ever love me. And then I met you and you laughed at my jokes and you made me feel so good about myself that sweetie, I'm going to let you continue to make me feel good about myself For the rest of your life. How do you like that? And she's standing there. 
And if you could look into her heart, she might say, well, I was mistreated by these men who took me and used me, left me. And then I met you and you were like my Prince charming. And you came in and you brought me flowers and candy. You opened the car door for me. You made me feel like a princess. You swept me off my feet. And I just love that feeling. And I am going to let you treat me like a princess for the rest of your life. How about that? You might think, well, those are crazy vows. And I would agree. And yet when you think about it, how many marriages are out there based upon what the other can do for me? You make me feel so good. I'm just going to let you keep on doing that to the day you die. But if the day ever comes, you stop making me feel good about myself. Ooh, well, we're going to have to examine things. Mm, yeah. I might have to trade you in uh, or, or upgrade to next year's model. Where does that, that sinful behavior come from? It comes back, it goes right back to selfishness. Selfishness destroys good marriages. It does, it does, it does. Listen, I've been in the ministry 40 years. I've done a fair bit of marriage counsel. And I can tell you, I see that more than you think. Selfishness, selfishness, selfishness. And after you've been counseling people for a number of years and they come and they sit before you, you can almost smell the selfishness in the air. And just the way they talk and treat each other. You're thinking, oh boy, they got a problem with selfishness, both of them. And then the fun begins to try and educate them and open their eyes to see their own selfishness. Because once people honestly see it, they abhor it. And that's usually a good sign because then the marriage can be saved. Well, I suggest that if we want a happy, successful marriage, then we need to realize and acknowledge that the marriage belongs more to God than it does to us. It belongs more to God than it does to us. Now, as an illustration, my wife and I, a number of years ago, uh, the house we live in, we believe God allowed us to buy it because um, pastors, unless you're a big charismatic pastor of down in Miami, you can't really afford to go out and buy a house. And God was very good and allowed us to be able to buy the house we're in. And we love the house. We love the neighborhood, the neighbors. We were there a number of years, but then the economy started going wacko. And we thought, if the interest rates go up a few percentage points, we could have trouble making payments. Maybe it's wise for us to sell the house and move into something smaller where we have a smaller mortgage. Now on the surface, that makes sense, doesn't it? And so we contracted with a real estate agent and we did a little fix up of the house. And the, that very night he said, I have a showing. Wow. We vacuumed the place and we took off for Tim Hortons or someplace and then we got back and we heard from them later. No, they weren't interested. Oh, okay. But he says, I got another one tomorrow. Ah, good. So the next day we vacuumed the place, cleaned it all up again, kept it spotless. This went on for days and days and weeks and weeks showing after showing six months, 
46 separate house showings. No one wanted to buy our house. It was like God put a big X over it and we couldn't understand it until we went to God and said, Lord, what's happening? And the Holy spirit said, I don't want you to sell a house. So I went and yanked the sign off the front lawn and told the realtor, sorry, we're going to keep the house. Well, he wasn't too happy, but you know what? We're happy because after that, the price of houses started going way up and the equity we had in the house started to go up and we were happy about that. But we also loved the house and the neighborhood anyhow. But you see, the house is more God's than it is ours. And we were making a decision based upon what we thought and not what God thought. And I encourage you, your marriage belongs more to God than it does to you. So don't go quitting on the marriage God gave you. Anything less than the glory of God is a wrong foundation in marriage. And it'll give trouble, if not serious trouble in the days ahead. You know, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter seven, after that famous sermon on the Mount chapters five, six, and seven. And he said at the end of chapter seven, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I'll liken him to a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. The winds and the storm came and blew upon the house, but it stood firm. And that's what you and I want for our marriages. Yes, there'll be times of trouble, but our marriages will remain firm. You see, because we got our foundation, right? We're built upon the rock. If you are married, you look upon your marriage as a sacred trust from God, a heavenly gift, but my wife isn't perfect. Yeah. Well, neither is her husband. Oh, look who I got saddled with. Yeah. Well, look who she got saddled with. Maybe this is why they make so many jokes about marriage. I'm not sure, but I do know marriage is creation of God and all things were created for his glory. Now we need to move along here in our little seminar on tuning up the marriage. We're going to come to point number two, point number two. Let's realize, let's realize that it is normal, normal, normal to have discouragement in a marriage. It is normal. It's normal. Like getting a head cold is normal to living life. It's not very desirable, mind you, but it's normal. It's normal. There are things that are going to happen. Listen, if you're going to hammer in nails at some point, you're probably going to hit your thumb. Well, it's not desirable, but it's not the end of the world either. These things are normal. What is discouragement? Discouragement is a lack of courage. Discouragement. It's a lack of courage. Courage is based upon the heart. The root word is C O R. That's the Latin word for heart. You got to have heart. And so your heart is now the deepest point in your soul where you make your decisions of right and wrong based upon how you see right and wrong. You're, or let's just say God's definition of right and wrong as Bible believers. Let's say that Proverbs chapter four, verse 23 Write that verse down. Proverbs 4:23. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. 
Proverbs 4 and 23. You know what? A terrorist, a terrorist doesn't have a heart. He doesn't have a conscience. It's seared with a hot iron. He can do wicked things and it doesn't bother him. If you can hurt your beloved and it doesn't trouble you, you got a problem, a seared conscience. Your heart is in serious trouble. Courage, courage, heart. Courage is the ability to do the right thing in the face of adversity. It means to stand against unlawful attack. It means to hold one's ground through the problems. I guarantee you every marriage, every husband, every wife needs encouragement. Husband, your dear wife needs encouragement. Not just once a year on Valentine's or twice a year. If you include mother's day, three times a year, if you include Christmas, four times a year, if you include her birthday, possibly five times a year. If you remember the anniversary, she needs encouragement a lot more than that. She needs to be encouraged along the way. And wives, you'd be amazed how much encouragement your husband actually needs. Oh, you might think he's a man of steel, but some days it's like spaghetti and he needs a few good encouraging words from you. Every husband and wife, every marriage needs encouragement. And I'll tell you this. If you were suddenly to start losing blood out of your body, you would act quickly doing everything you could to stop the loss of your blood. And in your marriage, when you become discouraged, you must act quickly and stop the loss of that in that courage. I'll give you an illustration. You're driving your car. You go over a sharp bump in the road. Maybe there's a large chunk of wood with a nail sticking in it. And maybe you didn't see it. Maybe you thought you'd be okay, but kaboom, you go over this thing and that wood and that nail pow goes right up and punctures a hole in your gas tank. It doesn't destroy your car. It doesn't stop your car, but it punctured your gas tank. It doesn't take long before you notice your needles moving kind of fast from full to empty. You look in the rear view and you see this trail coming out behind you. You make a wise assessment. I'm losing gas. You can maybe even smell the gas in the car. But what do you do? Well, I guess I'll just have to pull into a gas station and fill up. And so you pull into a gas station and glug, 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 you fill it up. All the while, you're still dripping out gas. It's pouring out. Get back in the car and away you go. And a few minutes later, you see that old needle coming down again. Oh man, I need another gas station. And so you find one fill up and you go on and, oh man, I need another gas station. My friend, your problem is not the lack of gas stations. Your problem is the hole in the gas tank. You're losing precious fuel. And when you lose encouragement in the marriage, you've got to get that fixed. You must do it. King David, before he was king, he was in the wilderness with his men. They had suffered a huge loss. 
They came back to the camp and the enemy had come and destroyed and took away all the women and children and all the stuff. And everyone cried and cried. And then a lot of them turned their hearts against David. They want to kill David. Blame the leader. They wanted to kill David. And then it says in first Samuel in chapter 30, that David encouraged himself in the Lord. David was losing in his encouragement. And so he encouraged himself in the Lord. If you were to lose some blood, you'd have to wrap a bandaid around that. Maybe a turnkey to, to stop, you know, the flow of blood to get to the hospital, whatever you need to do. Small cuts, you can fix them yourself. Big cuts, you might need some help. Well, you need to do the same thing with encouragement. Husband, wife, you need to see where the, the encouragement was lost and, and fix it and then start adding encouragement. Encouragement is so important. It's every bit as important as gas in your tank. First Peter chapter five tells us to cast all our cares upon the Lord because he cares for us. Philippians chapter three, verse 13 tells us to do the right things by faith and the feelings will follow. We need to encourage ourselves. If you're trying to walk with God, God will usually tell you if you're acting in a poor manner, if you're acting crazy or something, if you need to apologize. And by the way, listen, if you need to apologize, apologize. If that's what it takes, then do it for the sake of the marriage and for the glory of God. Apologizing is not a, a sign of weakness. No, apologizing is a sign of strength. And who usually apologizes first in the marriage? My wife's brother, he's in heaven now. He was a delightful Christian man. We loved him. He used to tell a joke about when he and his wife would get into an argument. And he said, every time, every time we'd fight, this is what he'd say. Every time my wife and I would fight, she would come to me on her knees. And she'd say, come out from under the bed, you fool. It's only a joke. But we really need to act quickly. When encouragement is lost, it's like blood is lost. And we need to act quickly. Oh, my friend. I'm suddenly out of time. I have more I wanted to share with you. But our time is up. Having a marriage tune up is so important. And this being Valentine's day, I think it would be well worth our time, talents, treasures to take a little attention for each other, husbands and wives and show some love. And let's not forget God benefits when we're good to each other. And now husband, would you reach out and take your wife by the hand? Wife, if your husband's not at home, if he's working, he's away. Pretend one hand is his and you take that hand. Okay. And bow your heads and close your eyes because I want to pray for you right now.
Dear wonderful heavenly father. I thank you for all the husbands and wives. I pray father for special blessing on them. Lord, I know that this message here has been primarily for husbands and wives, but there are others that can benefit as well. But father God, I do pray that you would strengthen the marriages that you would put a hedge of protection around the marriages. And Lord, as someone said, help us not to let the honey drip out of the honeymoon, but to stay in love and to keep you first and foremost, the head of the home. Yes. The head of the marriage father, please. I pray you bless husbands and wives today for your honor and for your glory in Jesus name. I pray now, please look up at me. If you would today is Valentine's day. And it's the day that we're supposed to look upon each other with love. But I also want you to know that with God, every day is Valentine's because he looks upon us with love. And maybe you don't feel very lovely today, but that doesn't change the fact that God is looking upon you with a heart of love for God. So loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That was Jesus. He died for your sins on the cross was buried and rose again. He's alive today. Knocking on your heart's door. If you don't know Jesus as your savior, would you open the door of your heart and let the love of God in? Would you repent? Would you acknowledge to God your sinfulness? And that if you got what you deserve, you'd be in hell. Ask Jesus right now to forgive your sins, to come into your heart, to be your Lord, your King, your savior, to take you to heaven. When you die, trust Jesus and not the Pope trust Jesus and not any religious leader. Trust Jesus alone. And if you will do that, he'll come into your heart and he'll save you and he'll give you hope and peace and joy and comfort and a whole lot more. My prayer that everyone watching know the Lord is their savior. And finally, lastly, if you know the Lord is your savior, but you're not living for him, you're living in sin. Well, my friend, he's calling to you today. Come home, come home. Ye that are weary, come back to Jesus today. Would you do that? Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.